On the Empire Podcast this week, it's a family affair as the Umbrella Academy star and all-round ruddy legend Mary J. Blige pops in. Yes, Mary J. Blige. I can't believe it either. Plus, a veritable Paul Daniels of Merlin's, that's a collective noun for a group of wizards, from the kid who would be king, Patrick Stewart and Angus Imrie. All that and more on the movie podcast whose battery is low and it's getting dark. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I'm joined by not one, not two, not three, but four colleagues of such lethal cunning. That's right, four colleagues. We're supersizing it for our 351st episode. We are joined by Jurassic World star and all-round global icon, mm. Nick Dissemlian. Phenomenon. We, you, you were supposed to say phenomenon. Yeah, icon's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hi, Chris. Sorry, I'm, uh, am I meant to look at your, your eyes? Or am no, I, I, no, down on the okay. floor. Sorry, but uh, it's good to have you here. Thanks, man. Uh, we are also joined by our geek queen, supernatural nut. Hey. No, I just meant you're a supernatural nut, and that's you. You love things that are super and natural, and you're a nut. It's Helen right. O'Hara. <laughs> Hello. How are you? I am good. You're listening to this, obviously, on February 25th, which is the day I'm campaigning to be made a national holiday. What? Yes, it would be half-priced heart-shaped chocolates day. Um, which February I think 25th. Is February 15th. Oh, uh, you said 25th. Did I say that? Yeah, you I did. I was wondering what the hell was going on. I was like, have you... Yeah. <laughs> time travel! Yeah. That's what Sam and Dean do, isn't it? You know, They like... have been known to time travel, actually, yeah. yes. I'm going to skip ahead from the uh, the third colleague of Social Lethal Cunning. Our producer, Jane, fourth colleague, is here this week, off mic once again. But how are you, Jane? Thumbs Jane up. gives a thumbs up. Where were you this uh, year on holiday? Where were you? Mexico. Mexico. How was it? All right. All right. Great holiday anecdotes there from Jane. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. And uh, then our third lethal colleague of whatever, I don't know, what they've kept, what is it called? Colleague well, like lethal colleague. Like I'm just, I'm lethal colleague. Is James Dyer, who's also here, which is nice, I guess. Uh, Jimbo, last week you left the live show, the 350th episode, quite a hurry. I did. And I wouldn't only pry into people's private lives, and I, I'm loath to do so here, but a lot of people, and you've seen this on, on Twitter, have been wondering how your date went. I will say two things. I'll say that, A, I ran out of the venue. Lots of people wish me good luck. Very nice of them as mm-hmm. I ran past them. And uh, trying to juggle Google Maps and work out where it was going, I ran in completely the wrong direction, but then was too embarrassed to turn around and double back because everyone was there. So I did this enormous loop of King's Cross to actually go where I needed to go and ended up being horribly late. Uh, <laughs> so that wasn't good. And then one of our one of our listeners tweeted to say that uh, her husband had painstakingly researched a bar to go to after the live podcast. But when yes. she turned up and saw me and my date in the window, he wouldn't let her go in. <laughs> was it like a window display? Was it? Yeah, like we were in the or something, and uh, so so she didn't go in. So I hope, dear listener, that you uh, you found another bar that was good too. But uh, yeah, all good. Yeah, all right, good. Okay. Could have the first Empire Podcast wedding. This be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> all right, should we get on to a question? Sure. And this question comes from email, and it comes from Matea Elkaby. And I apologise because I probably mangled your name beyond all recognition. And this is this is a big one. The internet's been arguing over this for many a year. Who is the best, Chris? Once and for all. And I'm going to take myself, I'm going to recuse myself from this conversation because we all know it's me. So let's just put that to one side. Uh, we're talking about the Hollywood Chrises, hmm. the, the Hemsworth, the Evans, the Pratt, and the Pine. If you want to throw in a fifth Chris out of left field, again, not me, I'm the best, then by all means go for it. So here we go. Have at it. Pine, Hemsworth, Evans, Pratt, go. Helen. Evans. Why? Captain America. 
Okay. Also, also he um, be on brand. Yeah, it's very on brand. But also, he's he's genuinely brilliant on Twitter. Um, first of all, he posts many many videos and pictures of his dog, who is excellent, all mm-hmm. hell Dodger. True. And second of all, he also fights with Trumpians a lot and and is adorable. And uh, he complained this week. Actually, did you see this? I he, did see this. Yes. He complained uh, about uh, a Canadian uh, e Canada e Canada, which used a picture of him while he was starring in uh, The Lobby Boy, was it? What's it Lobby called? Lobby Hero. Lobby Hero on Broadway, where he had the horrendous moustache. which for, for uh, And he deserves points for having the courage to grow that moustache, because it's heinous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. he said, what have I ever done to you, Canada? Mm. And, and that was amusing and it fun. Was. Yeah. And, and led to a bit of a war of words between various Avengers. And We were talking about this in the office today, and it's, it's somehow they found the one bad picture of Chris Evans. Who knew such a thing existed, and yet here we are. But you still would. Uh, Jimbo. Uh, Klein. Klein? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the best. That's left field. That's a, wow. That if he's a... unavailable, Elliot. Chris Elliot. Chris Elliot. Oh, Star legend. of There's Something About Mary yeah. and Groundhog Woogie. Day. Woogie. Yeah, love him. Okay. Genius. Is that just because he's bald? Yeah, yeah, we have to stick together. Oh my God. Uh, it's know, lest we be hoist by our own Picard. <laughs> but seriously, out of the approved Chris's, mm. it's Chris Evans. It is Chris Evans. I like Chris Hemsworth. Got a lot of time Chris Chris Hemsworth, but it's it's Evans. It's Evans because he's Captain America. It's Evans because he grows the best beard that has ever bristled on any face anywhere on the earth. But mm. also, Cap is amazing on Twitter, and he's like he like he punches Nazis on and off screen, and mm. I think that is awesome. Yeah, he's good. Okay, Evans is good. There's no doubt about it. And Lucas Lee is amazing in Scott Pilgrim vs the World. Oh god, yeah. Um, I'm going Hemsworth. I'm going Hemsworth. <laughs> Because uh, he makes me laugh the most out of the four Chris's. He is hilarious That's in fair. Ghostbusters. The yeah. Mike Hat stuff is genius. <laughs> I just kind of admire a man who takes his shirt off in every single film <laughs> that he's ever been in. He will find a way to take his shirt off. I, I think, in fairness, he's been trying to find a way not to, and other well, people have somehow demanded it of him. Yeah, it's one or the other. So <laughs> uh, I'm yet to see evidence. But, um, so he's my choice, and I'm going to put in a shout for Plumber. Chris Plummer. Yeah. Chris, no one calls him Chris Plummer. Chris Plummer. I call him No, Chris. he's a Christopher. Em- Emergency Plummer, yeah. <laughs> you can't beat a bit of Plummer, can you? You can't. You really can't. What about Chris Sarandon? Oh, he's no? a bad guy, isn't he? How's he a bad guy? He's a bad guy in The Princess Bride. And Fright Night. Therefore, he's a bad guy. But he's a good guy in Child's Play. Mm, doesn't count. And Dog Day Afternoon. Princess Bride on the hierarchy of those films is number one. He's a bad okay. guy in The Princess Bride. Ergo, he's a bad guy. I'm sure he's lovely, really. Yeah, in fact, I've uh, interviewed him and he was very, very nice indeed. So there you go. Chris Sarandon is the official number one no. choice of Helen O'Hara. No. Uh, can we discuss Chris Pine a little bit more? Because I'm surprised. Mm. Hemsworth, I can understand this, Nick. I mean, he is... Look at him. Walk well, around yeah. him. He is magnificent and he's very, very funny. Is he the best actor of the four? There's an argument to be had that yes, he is. No, I think he's the best comedian of the four. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I actually think they're all pretty good actors. They're very um, good actors. Mm. That's me massively underplaying it. You're right, they're very good actors. I would say Pine's probably done the best straight acting work so far. Interesting. Um, and I, I have you, to say, my, my number two actually goes back and forth between Pine and Hemsworth, depending usually on who I've seen most recently. Um but I think that uh, Hemsworth is hilarious and that, that's really, really helped okay. him. And he's, he's kind of settling in at number two. But then when Wonder Woman 1984 comes out, that'll probably boost All Chris right. Pine back up. Yeah. So uh, in terms of acting then, Pine mm. is the sort of guy who can do the light comedic fare. Mm-hmm. He can do the leading man stuff in Star Trek yeah. and Wonder Woman. He can do the serious acting in, obviously we saw most recently, Hell or High Water and Outlaw King. And he can also do weird like Smoking Aces, his performance in Smoking Aces is just super weird. Yeah, fucking weird. Also, uh, he can sing. 
Triple threat. He can sing. Into the woods, baby. All right. And should we talk about Chris Pratt? Because I feel Chris Pratt has somewhat taken a hit recently. He's not had a good week, has he? Was it Ellen Page Page. called him out on Twitter because his church uh, is apparently LGBTQ negative? Yes, indeed. And he has responded with a statement saying... You know, as as my co-star in Jurassic World, you know, he taught me a lot on set. He kind of nurtured my performances. You taught him, if anything. Yeah, I didn't want to be the first to say it. I did. Yeah, before before Um, you, he all his Parks and Rec bad habits were there. They had the first half of Jurassic World. The filming was ruined because he kept looking at the camera after every take and going, "Ooh." Yeah. So yeah, I did that instead. (laughs) Um, But he, you know, he's 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 great. He's had the biggest transformation of all of them from the early stuff he did to suddenly he was this chiselled matinee idol guy, and he's great in the Guardians films. I really like him in Jurassic World. So yeah, he's good. I just say maybe. Doesn't take a shirt off enough, that's all. Okay. I think maybe off screen, he's maybe had a slight fall from grace in the eyes of some people, but that's focused on the on screen stuff, and I still like him. I think he's got mm. charisma to burn, and, uh, you know, we shall see where he goes. And we'll be discussing some Chris Pratt news later on in the uh, podcast as well. Indeed. But uh, I'm going to go. Yeah, fuck it. Evans. Mm-hmm. It's Evans, isn't it? It, it is. Evans. It's just Evans. It Evan's above. Uh, so Evan's number one, Hemsworth number two, Pine number three. Those two very close. Very close. Yeah. And I'm only going Hem- Hemsworth above uh, Pine because of the direct MCU thing. And I have to be loyal. I have to be loyal to the <laughs> well, MCU. No, hang on. Well, he's, he's, he is a Marvel character, though. Hang on. Who is? Pine. Oh, my God. He's All Spider-Man, right. baby. All right. Okay, 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 okay. Here we go. 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 <laughs> number one, Chris Evans. Right. Two Marvel characters. Yeah. yeah. This isn't sure. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. Shot Nick. Shot. Number one, Chris Evans, two Marvel characters. Then a long, like a long gap, like a cavernous gap, like a huge, like an abyss. And then it's Hemsworth and Pine, joint second, locked in a never-ending embrace. And okay. Third. Uh, and then a long, <laughs> long, 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 long gap, and then it's uh, Chris Pratt. What if Chris Klein is announced tomorrow as Thanos's brother? <laughs> Okay, Gary. Number two is Chris Klein, and then number three is Chris Elliott, and oh then but God. yeah, but that's that's what I'm thinking. Evans, Hemsworth, Pine, Pratt. Yeah, sure, sure. Happy, happy with that? Sure. So much easier ranking the Tom Hollands, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's obviously number one Tom Holland, number no, two no, Tom no, Holland. No, 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 no. We've agreed in the past that Tom Holland <laughs> is Tom Hollander than Tom Holland. No, 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 no. no, no. no. It's Tom Holland. No, come on. Then Tom Holland, then Tom Holland, and finally. Tom Holland. That's yeah, I've switched the last two around and I'm with that, actually. All right, well, well this, could, well, this could run for a while, Helen, <laughs> but uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as indeed Mattia Elkubi found to their cost, uh, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us as well, where we are, Empire Magazine. And you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for our first guest, and I still can't quite believe we're saying these words, but it's Mary J. Blige. All-round musical legend, most recently nominated for two Oscars in one year, the first person to ever be nominated for an acting Oscar and a songwriting Oscar in the same year, I read on Wikipedia. That, of course, has already been matched this year by Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, but, you know, hey-ho, it's all good. And she's acting again. In The Umbrella Academy, which launches this week on Netflix, it's a comic book style thing, and she plays an evil baddie, doesn't she, Helen? Yeah, she's, she plays, a, well, I think I can say an assassin called an Cha-Cha. assassin. Mm. Exciting stuff. Uh, and we're very, very excited to have Mary J. Blige indeed on the podcast, and we sent along Ben Travis 
to have a chat with her earlier this week. Do enjoy. So I'm thrilled to be joined on the Empire podcast by a true legend, Mary J. Blige. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank yeah. you. I'm really good. Um, I've spent the last couple of days watching episodes of the Umbrella Academy, and it is an absolute trip. It is a kind of crazy, vibrant, like thrillingly strange show. Um, <laughs> and you get one of the best characters in the whole thing. Thanks. Um, who is Cha-Cha. You're a, do you want to kind of set up the character, uh, who she is, how she comes into the story? Okay, well, Cha-Cha is a time-traveling assassin who has a partner who travels with her. The, they come into the story because they are looking to assassinate someone. I don't know if I should, I don't, I don't want to give any <laughs> Keep spoilers. Keep under wraps. Right. Assassinate someone that did something wrong and mm-hmm. they're coming and looking for them. And anyone that gets in their way. They get they get murdered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whenever you guys show up on the screen, you know, there's going to be some kind of like exciting action scene or something crazy happening. Right. Or on the flip side, it's like you and, and Hazel, your assassin partner, mm-hmm. just having like enjoyably kind of mundane conversations about like pay slipping and not getting to kind of get separate rooms when you're traveling around mm-hmm. on your jobs. Uh, it makes for a really kind of fun dynamic between you. Yeah, we're funny and serious and all. We're a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this seems so different to to other parts that you've played in the past. Um, What was your reaction when you when you uh, saw Cha Cha on the page? Were you like, "That's me," or were you like, "That I guess that could be me"? How how did you feel when you? I I just saw a challenge. I saw Mm. something that I can learn and someone that I can. I think we all dream about being a a Cha Cha, being that badass, and just you know, (laughs) not being afraid to just like take an army down so what jumped out on the page for me was just how skilled she was um just the martial arts that she knew and um all the the different types of guns that she shot and just you know her just being fearless and crazy and I I needed to play that like I I I like to separate you know the characters I play you know uh cha-cha's completely different from Florence, the, the mm-hmm. woman I played in on Mudbound. And that's how I wanted to do it. So people can see that I have a range and I can do different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Cha-Cha is such a, she's a very pragmatic character. She gets into these kind of crazy, dangerous situations, but she is in control, like pretty much the entire time. Yeah. Um, did you get to uh, learn bits of those martial arts and those kind of the, the gunplay stuff? Did you get to do bits of that? Yes, I learned martial arts. I trained like every day when, when I was in um, Canada. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think I knew how to shoot a gun before I even got to, you know, to Toronto because I started training at the, um, the shooting gallery. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles, I, I started training for guns. So when I ended up on the set, I knew how to shoot. A gun already i just learned how to shoot several guns while i was out there i'm really intrigued in the the kind of casting process for this because obviously it's, it's based on a comic by gerard way the uh, singer from my chemical romance mm-hmm. and the characters that you guys play in the comics have uh, these masks on the entire time mm-hmm. they kind of anybody can play these characters did you kind of read for different characters or were you drawn straight to cha-cha how did that casting process well work? i was i was um offered the role of cha-cha mm-hmm. So I didn't have to do anything but study, you know, bring Cha-Cha to life. Amazing. And as far, far as the mask is concerned, I, I, 
I didn't, they were uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. was it like wearing that? Because you wear, so it's, uh, for the listeners, it's this yeah. big kind of uh, dog mask with like floppy ears. It seems to cover, it covers your like entire head. This isn't right. just like a face mask. This is like a huge sort of bowl that you're wearing on your head. What was, the, what was that it like? It was a little uncomfortable because yeah. sometimes you couldn't see when you were shooting, when you were fighting, you couldn't see sometimes. So we had to really focus so that, you know, we don't get hurt or hurt mm-hmm. anyone when we had those masks on. And it was, um, you have to, be careful, very careful. Are there like little eye holes or something in there? Yeah, there so were there were eye holes, see? and mm-hmm. there were there, there was a fan inside, mm-hmm. you know. But I think I'm just a little cla- claustrophobic, so just the thought of being in a mask for so much mm-hmm. time was, was like, uh, you know, I, I was taking mine off in between, you know, takes. And when you say that um, your approach for the role, I'm sure there's a large part of you thinking, amazing. Mm-hmm. Is there a part of you thinking, so this is a like brutal time traveling assassin? Do they see that that kind of craziness? I, that's that's interesting. I never thought mm. if that's what they thought of me, <laughs> because I was like, okay, maybe that's who I am. <laughs> maybe that's what they do see in me. But um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and um, did you go back to the comics when you were researching the role, or do you prefer to kind of just? Go by what's in the script because, mm-hmm. as we were saying, the characters in the comics, uh, obviously they, they're kind of interacting with each other, but they don't really tend to take the masks off that much. Whereas in the show, mm-hmm. it's it's your guy, you guys together uh, quite a bit. Did you mm-hmm. think this is the version that's in the script, that's what I'm playing? Or do you have a look at the uh, comics I, like, as well? I um, intentionally didn't study the, the comics mm. because I wanted, I wanted Cha-Cha to be something fresh and I wanted to find her on my own. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find this character on my own. And how, how did you go about finding her? What was your journey into, into Cha-Cha? My journey into Cha-Cha is that she's dark. Mm. She's very, very dark. So I'm going to have to challenge myself to go to some dark places, you know, personally, mm-hmm. and, give it, and give it to this woman so, she can, so people can believe her. And um, I think I accomplished that. She is a dark character. Um, so I've watched the first few episodes and already in that time, um, you're like, yeah, running around with guns and you're like torturing a guy with nipple clamps and electricity. What was the kind of craziest day on, on set? What was the point where you were like, this is the furthest from anything I've ever done? I think the craziest day was the, the, the day I had the fight with my partner. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. We were fighting all day. Really? Like we shot that scene like so many times, mm-hmm. fighting and kicking, and we were sweating and you know. But we were, it was so we we had so much. Um, um, we were so happy to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So the adrenaline was going, and so we didn't realize how sore and beat up we were till we got home. Um, so that that was a that was a crazy day, but I enjoyed it. There is great music. All the way through the show, they're a kind of uh, big sort of pop soundtrack mm. choreographing. Like you guys get a, a shootout to, to "Don't Stop Me Now." Right. Did you have that music playing on the set to get the tone of of what those scenes were, or does that all come afterwards? No, we did not. We were shooting in quiet, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in between cut and and in action, and there was no music. And when when I saw it, I was like, "Wow, genius." Mm. We knew they were going to use some music, but we didn't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were just in the moment being, you know, shooting the guns and being assassins and just playing the role. And so I, I didn't have any music playing in my head. I just had the fact that I was trying to kill this person. You know, I didn't, I didn't think of any music. I was, I was serious about it. Mm-hmm. 
you have a lot of interplay with um, with Cameron Britton, who plays your partner Hazel. Right. Right. Um, the last thing that I saw him in, the main thing that I sort of well, I didn't recognize him because he looked so different. Right. Was from uh, Mindhunter, right. where he plays Ed Kemper, the serial killer. Who uh, that yeah. performance is so creepy it's like a really really terrifying performance right had you seen that before you met him yes and the first day was weird for me because I was weirded out by that character Mm. (laughs) and I was like oh my god (laughs) I'm sitting in this car you know because we were in between takes and I'm sitting in the car it's like zero degrees outside the car has no windows so we're in the car freezing Mm -hmm. talking about Mindhunter and he's talking about it and I'm like, oh my god, I'm I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> like, like I'm in the car with this creepy guy. Like, <laughs> like it was it was a little too creepy for me. Yeah. And but he he was amazing in it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to tell him how afraid I was to like <laughs> we were like uh, almost friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long does it take to get past that moment of like I I know we're gonna have to get on, but like that. No, we got over, we, we got over it pretty quickly because mm-hmm. you know it's like you know what if this is gonna happen I'm not I, I have I can't be afraid mm-hmm. and I'm cha cha so I have to you know be the boss of him so I can't be afraid of him so I had to snap in the character and mm-hmm. I think snapping in the character helped me to get over my fear of the mind hunter character mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know I, when I told him about it he laughed so hard <laughs> I was like yeah I was afraid of you the first couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, don't blame you there. And one of the other characters um, who you share some scenes with, Robert Sheehan, is in mm. this, um, and he is such like an energetic performer. How did you guys kind of spark off together? Did you have fun together on the set? Man, it was um, like Robert is like a force. Like to watch him turn into Klaus mm. was a learning, like a big learning experience for me. He, it was like when I was watching Angela Bassett turn into Coretta. Mm. <laughs> It was the same thing with him. He's amazing, man. And and it was fun. It's always fun with Robert. He he makes it fun. Mm-hmm. It's always laughter with him. He always makes us laugh till we cry. And I don't even think he's trying to be funny all the time. He's, Robert is just different. <laughs> different and mm-hmm. funny. And um but he's an amazing actor, man. Like he just wow. Yeah. And I think the last thing that a lot of people will have seen you in, as you mentioned earlier on, is is Mudbound. Yes. Um which is an extraordinary film and you received two Oscar nominations for that. I know it's a year ago, but congratulations. Thank and you. How how are you feeling this time last year? Because it was in that moment where the nominees have been announced, but the, the ceremony hasn't been yet. I felt like I was in a dream. I, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that happened. Mm. I was just like, I was in such a humbling, grateful state. Just very grateful, like, and just what's next to work for and what's next, you know, to just be humble for it. It, it was because it was just some, such a, a miracle. Like that's how I felt about it. Yeah. Especially to, to get recognition um, for, for your music, but also for your performance in that film as well. It's an astonishing performance and mm-hmm. to get to perform at the Oscars, to perform that song um, that is a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Thank um, you. How, what was that whole experience like? And, and what, what are your memories of, of the Oscar night last year? Man, it was amazing. I felt like Cinderella at the, you know, <laughs> you know, I was like, am I going to turn into a pumpkin or turn back into, you know, with rags at some point? But I just, you know, I, I felt probably like this, like I felt when I sang for the president, I felt so good and so strong and so important, yet so humbled that they, they chose me mm-hmm. and I, I had a great time. I, 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 I could barely talk. I was so like nervous and happy all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, th- and that role in, in Mudbound was um, definitely one of your sort of 
the biggest roles in your career and, and uh, one of your largest screen roles in a little while. Did, did that film kind of rekindle your desire to kind of go full out kind of back towards acting? And mm-hmm. how, how did that film affect your mindset and, and where your career goes next? Well, it gave me a lot of a, a, a lot more confidence Mm-hmm. And what I do. And, you know, the nominations kind of sealed the deal and said, well, you are an actress. And it just it's just pushing me forward to do more acting and more challenging roles because mm-hmm. I can do it. And that's what it did for me. It basically, basically said, you can do it, Mary. Mm-hmm. Don't be nervous anymore. Just go for it. Mm-hmm. And, and both of these projects, um, so Mudbound and Umbrella Academy, are, are both on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Is um, Did one kind of lead to the other? Did Mudbound lead to um, Umbrella Academy? Or is it kind of coincidental that that, um, that both of them are, are, are Netflix projects? I think it might be co- coincidental because, mm. you know, my agency called and said, you know, do you want to play this role of Cha-Cha? And it's another Netflix situation, so... I think it's quite coincidental, but maybe they know something I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really interesting that that both of these projects they are they're so different, but they they have such a strong voice to them, and mm-hmm. they come from very different places, and yet they mm-hmm. both have the same home and the same mm-hmm. distribution kind of method. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of of Netflix as um, somewhere to tell these really diverse stories and to tell stories from diverse creators? Um, I think Netflix is very important and. I'm so happy that we have Netflix now because we have so much freedom. You know, people have freedom to tell their stories the way they want to tell them with without commercials, mm. <laughs> you know. And it's just, you know, we need that right now. We need a, and then we don't have to go and if you you can you don't have to go to movies if you don't want to. You can just stay home and binge watch, you know, whatever you want. You know, you don't have to leave your home to enjoy a movie, you know. Feels like these stories end up reaching a lot of people as well who maybe yeah. necessarily wouldn't kind of go out to the cinema to see them, but then exactly. they end up scrolling past and thinking, "Oh, this looks good." And exactly, mm. yeah. Is Dee Reese a, a filmmaker who you'd look to collaborate with again in the future? It seemed like that was Absolutely. a really fruitful kind of pairing. Of Absolutely, I, mm. I I need to collaborate with Dee one more time. Are you on the phone with her saying, "What have you got coming up?" What's yes, next? D is my friend. I'm on the phone. Like, I'm I I don't I build relationships, and D is my friend now. And I'm on the phone, you know, saying happy birthday to her. She's saying happy birthday to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was over her house for Christmas. You know, oh, wow. what you know, her and her, her um family, and we we keep in t- we, we keep in contact. Yeah. What's a What's a D Reese Mary J Blige Christmas like? I imagine that's a, a lot of fun. Man, well, you know, her wife um Sarah is a poet. Mm-hmm. And Dee's a poet, so the Christmas party was like everyone has to go step up to the front and say some poetry. Wow. <laughs> it caught me off guard. I didn't have anything ready, so <laughs> but everyone else was stepping up, and you know it was it was beautiful. I love oh. the way it was set up. Just before we wrap up, I wanted to ask um, about a project you've got coming up called um, Body Cam, yes. which sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think it's uh, do you know when that's coming out, and what can you tell us about? I, I believe Cam? it's going to be out this year. I'm not sure when. Um, I play a good cop. Um, who is grieving Mm -hmm. and she meets this other woman that's grieving and I don't want to give up the rest. (laughs) It's, this one is a thriller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it's like an all-out horror. Um, Oh, it's pretty creepy. (laughs) Do do you get in on the sort of uh, creepy action? Are you you at the heart of the scary stuff? Well, I'm like the lead actress in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm in all... The, the the whole through the whole movie mm-hmm. it's a thriller but it's like you know based on um 
police brutality. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just, whoa, the twist is the twist is something. I mean, it seems like that theme is coming through in in a lot of films at the moment. Things like um, mm-hmm. Blind Spotting and, and Monsters and Men recently, mm-hmm. um, kind of memorably. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of of horror as a way to to tackle? these kind of really difficult and comfortable issues and especially mm-hmm. thinking of something like Get Out as well where the intersection of race and, and horror is so prevalent. Well, I think that's genius because at the end of the day, it is horror. Mm-hmm. You know, racism is horror. Um, police brutality is real. Those are real horror situations, like mm-hmm. horrible situations. You know, the twist is, you know, making it where, you know, they're killing people and taking them somewhere. I mean, knocking people out and bring them up to take their brains and put them in someone else's head. Mm. But the real horror is the racism. The real horror is the police brutality. So I think it's a great way to, to speak about it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your You're time. You're welcome. Really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. That was Mary J. Blige. And now it's time to get our teeth stuck into the movie news section. Uh, there is quite a lot of it this week. Quite a lot of good stuff happened. There is indeed. Um, yeah. Jimbo, you were unaware of any of this stuff <laughs> until about 10 minutes ago. No, no. I did come with one piece of news. Oh, God. Ready? Oh, God. There's been some Dune casting. Hang on. Where's his microphone? I can turn it down. (laughs) Yes, you'll be pleased to know that the Atreides Warmaster Gurney Halleck has been cast, and it is Thanos himself, Mr. Josh Brolin. We decided in the office today that James is the cooler of Dune news. (laughs) Everything he says about this film makes me want to see it less. Yeah, it it is actually a thing that Terry was saying this as well, that my banging on about this in excruciating detail every single week has made her not want to watch the film. Yeah, I have to say that, you know, I shouldn't be this unexcited about a movie that features mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaac, Zendaya, Charlotte Rampling, Rebecca Ferguson, Dave Bautista, Stellan Skarsgård, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Uh, they're all in it. Yeah. But yet you are sucking the fun out of this film. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, you do do that. I'm though. a Dune fun sponge. Yeah. yeah. You realise if you go and set at this movie, and at this point it's becoming a, an increasingly big if, <laughs> that, you know, you, you'll be just boring the tits off I, everybody I on imagine. set they might shut everything down the day you visit just go yeah, yeah like Josh Burnham will come to me and say yeah yeah I play this guy called uh, he's called Gunny Gunny something and I'm like oh, I think you'll find Josh that is <laughs> Gurney Halleck the uh, war master of hell and he'd be like fuck off your June splaining yeah. is, yeah. is, yeah, it's, is it's becoming is problematic yeah. say, on a day to day basis I'm afraid your, your Fremen intonation is slightly off <laughs> <laughs> that is an oblique accent what is, um, what is the best fact you know about a sandworm a sandworm do you mean Shai Hulud aka oh, no. the old man of the desert well funnily enough nick uh what they do is they drown the uh the sandworms in water to create the water of life which oh. the Bene Gesserit witches use for their visions i'm just relieved every casting announcement that it's not sting being announced i'm still <laughs> slightly worried sting in his pants hashtag sting in his pants in yeah. social media sting and karma clock have a have a chris knife fight in their pants it's a sting in his pants yeah <laughs> so uh this is obviously him reteaming with denis villeneuve uh, i'm sure the casting hasn't stopped i'm sure there's going to be a lot more uh revelations but where do you where do you put this cast because this is pretty damn impressive this this old ensemble uh, that they've got so far and i'm sure it's going to get better where do you stack it against the ensemble of cats? <laughs> <laughs> Which, if I need to remind you, and I shouldn't, no. uh, is Taylor Swift, mm. James Corden. Okay, we're off to a bad start. <laughs> but Ian McKellen, Idris Elba, Judy Dench, and others. Yeah. Well, here's maybe what we should do. We should give the line the two casts up, right? And we should give the cat cast, you know, some small claws. Mm-hmm. And we should give the June cast some, you know, space age laser weapons. 
and then we should let them fight it out. Yes, yeah. right. I think so. Could <laughs> I just say, I also cannot allow a bad word to be said about Mr. James Corden, who is a confirmed listener of the Pilot TV podcast. Of course he is. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely true. Listen to every episode I've yeah. heard. He tweeted it out and promoted it and said Terry and Boyd were great. Yes, he did. And <laughs> actively avoided mentioning me. I well. have always liked James Corden. <laughs> If I, was, if I was asked to name my favourite James involved with the Pilot TV podcast, I think, I think I'd have to say James Corden. I think James Corden is one of the greatest comedic performers of our time. Mm. Genuinely, though, he was, did you see that One Man, Two Governors he did in the West I End did, he was ago? great in He that. was amazing in that. So, yeah, always, always have time for James Corden yeah. on the Empire podcast. Uh, if he wants to give us a shout out and omit James from any praise, then... <laughs> I'm fully on board. Uh, should we talk about something that's not June? Because uh, I'm massively excited about the Breaking Bad movie that is apparently on its way. And further details were were leaked slash confirmed about it today that Vince Gilligan is indeed writing and directing a Breaking Bad movie that appears to be a sequel that will focus on Jesse Pinkman. And Aaron Paul is going to come back as Jesse Pinkman. And it's going to air on Netflix first. So Netflix and AMC, AMC produced Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul in the States. But worldwide, we see them over here on Netflix. And uh, everyone's going to see this movie first on Netflix before it airs on AMC. Uh, what do we think about this? Is this a good idea or a bad idea? It's a great idea. I'm, I'm very excited about this. I, I must confess... Uh, and you've given me shit about this for a while, that I am woefully behind on Better Call Saul, which you maintain is absolutely brilliant. But even though I haven't caught up on that, and I do plan to, like the thought of actually picking up with Jesse and seeing what happens after Breaking Bad, that excites me enormously. So yeah. I am absolutely on board for both this and the Deadwood movie, because it's all about the TV movie spin-offs yeah. at the moment. I'm glad it's a sequel, because I've always been worried about Jesse since it finished. He was in such a mess that he, yeah. he underwent such horror yeah. and ends up on his own, and he's, he gets away from the Nazis, but what happens to him next and I've wondered that so he I'm becomes a Nazi to find out. and I hope he doesn't get caught by different Nazis immediately um, but yeah I hope happy things happen to him it's unlikely isn't it it's yeah it is <laughs> it's deeply deeply unlikely yeah. uh, even more unlikely as well uh, but I would love this to happen because I would love to see Jesse somehow wind up in a Cinnabon in Omaha Nebraska a rival Cinnabon yeah and, uh, and run into the manager of that place uh, a guy called Gene who looks a lot like Saul Goodman um it's unlikely, but you never know because Better Call Saul is about to head into its fifth season at some point next year, uh, and fifth fifth seasons where Breaking Bad ended. So maybe this is a very very clever way of somehow dotting all the uh, the eyes and crossing all the teeth. It should be called Baking Bad. Jesse and uh, Saul have got rival um, dessert yep. parlors. That's why we pay Nick the wow. big bucks. Yeah, I'm on board I'm with off that. to pitch that. Good stuff. Sure. Um, anything else? Look, quite a lot of other news. Yeah. Mm. Benedict Cumberbatch has been announced to as Satan. No, in, in the, something in the TV adaptation of Good Omens, uh, he will be voicing Satan. I don't think we'll see him if it sticks close to the book, which one would expect it to, given the involvement of Neil Gaiman in it. Um, but he, that puts him dead opposite Francis McDormand, who of course voices God. So yeah, looking forward to that. I read that he'll be four hundred foot tall. I mean, he is quite a tall. Man. <laughs> I mean, in in the show. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Remind me the name of the uh, uh, um, the Danny McBride comedy about the end of the world. What's it called? This is the, is it, this is the end. Yeah, is that this the one? Is the end, yeah, yeah but the, where Satan? That, that whenever you mention Satan in film now, that is burned into my brain. Satan's giant. Yes. Satanic. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I think of him yeah. and uh, Saddam Hussein in the South Park movie. Yeah, me too. That too. That's, yes, that's, that's very my funny. go-to. This is going to be a different Satan. 
You so think? it's fine. It's probably not going to be as cool as Satan as the one in, you know, Supernatural, say. I don't know. Um, but who, who plays Satan in Supernatural? I've forgotten his name. Mark <gasps> something. Satan plays himself. Ah, <laughs> I yeah. believe, yeah. <laughs> Does all his own roles. And his yeah. own stunts, I've heard. <laughs> uh, that's exciting news, isn't it? We're, mm, we're, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. happy about that. Yeah, We're on board with that one. Um, shall we talk about World War Z 2? And yes, I said said. Uh, because that's fallen apart yet again, mm. and they were very, very close. They were apparently in pre-production. Uh, this is just a this is just a rumor, of course. It hasn't officially been one hundred percent confirmed, but it does look like World War said too, with David Fincher at the helm and Brad Pitt returning as Jerry Lane. Gerald Lane. Jerry Lane. You gotta love him. Uh, Jerry Lane. <laughs> Uh, it's it's not going to happen, and I'm yeah. a bit gutted about that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I um fine with it. I, I I actually liked the first film a lot more than I expected to. I was appalled by the trailers, and mm. uh, and I still maintain that it has about four moments or elements taken from the book, including the title, um, which seems to me a little bit below the desirable number. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it was quite a fun. Hmm. disaster movie uh, as it was so I was I was up for a sequel but at the same time it's been so long I don't care anymore um, and surely we're ripe for a reboot and somebody can do it on TV like it always should have been done probably and actually keep some of the episodic nature of the story there was a bit in the book wasn't there with a submarine zombies attacking a submarine underwater yeah this is the bit I really remember mm. and I was hoping to see that they didn't put that in the first film for some reason but yeah David Fincher there must have been a reason why he's been attached to this for years now must have been something he wanted to do with it you know yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm annoyed I'm very annoyed it would be fun furious. to see Fincher playing in that sandbox as they say or sand pit over here uh, in the UK and it, it's a bit of a shame and I hope that maybe they can resurrect it in some way uh, I guess Paramount hold the, uh, the, the rights but yeah, it wouldn't be unheard of for Netflix to come in, for example, with uh, with a bit of a rescue package and and maybe see this one down the line. Fincher works with Netflix; we all know that. So that would be that would be really, really, really cool. So Matthew Vaughn has started filming on his Kingsman prequel, which he told us, but it still hasn't been officially confirmed. But he told us a few months ago it was going to be called The Great Game, and it's got quite the cast. So it will focus, it's around, takes place around about 1918 and it will focus on how Kingsman came to be Kingsman, the organisation. And uh, in what I'm presuming is a sort of proto-Colin Firth, Taron Edgerton kind of combo, you have Ray Fiennes signed on to star in this thing, cool. along with uh, Harris Dickinson, young up-and-coming actor, Gemma Arterton, Aaron Taylor-Johnson reuniting with uh, Fallen for the first time since Kick-Ass, Arisa Fan, Daniel Brühl, Charles Dance, Matthew Good, Tom Hollander, the Hollanderist of all the Hollands, uh, they're all on board with this one as well. So I'm very excited to see what this one's going to be like because I've got a sneaky suspicion it's going to be different, very different from the first two Kingsmans. Yeah, cool. I'm looking... Well, I didn't love the last one, but, you know, we hope for the best with this one. It's a great cast. Can we talk trailers? There's been a couple of major trailers this yes. week. Yes, we can. Um, let's talk about yesterday, first of all. Okay. <laughs> Where a young man wakes up and uh, finds that he is the only person on earth who remembers the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So naturally, he starts singing Beatles songs um, and passing them off as his own. Yes. With unscrupulous record executives like Kate McKinnon telling him to change the lyrics to, from Hey Jude to Hey Dude, for yes. example. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good note. That's an Ed, that's Sheeran, that's an Ed Sheeran suggestion, and that's, uh, that's smacks of Sheeran, doesn't it? Bloody yeah. Sheeran. People love hating on him. I don't have an opinion on him, which I feel is healthier. Um, I've heard uh, precisely two Ed Sheeran songs. 
I quite like. No, I bet you it is not precise because he's one of those people where you hear loads of songs that someone tells you later are Ed Sheeran songs and you have no idea. Ah, okay. He sings everything. Yeah. Also, that that the, he uh, he released the Irish national national anthem, didn't he? You know, uh, what's it called? Galway Girl. This is an act of aggression against my country. <laughs> you will be hearing from us. Can I make um, a prediction with this film? Anyway, yeah. yes. And this is based on nothing, yeah. apart from maybe a line in the trailer. Um, I think this film is going to end with the lead character on stage with Ringo and Paul McCartney jamming out. Because I think there's a line in the trailer where they're on, I think, James Gordon's chat show, and someone says there's two people here who are claiming that you've got you've written that you've, you're performing their songs. That's going to be Ringo McCartney. Mm. It's got to be. We mm. should state right now this is written by Richard Curtis and directed by Danny Boyle. So while it sounds like the worst thing ever done, there's got to be something in it that's great because mm. these are two great filmmakers. Yeah, and Himesh Patel in the lead looks really quite charming. Yeah. Um, so and there's good people involved. So yeah. I'm fun. I'm hopeful for it. There, yeah. there does seem to be quite a lot of Ed Sheeran in the trailer, but more you know, than you would like. Don't be hating on Ed. I'm not. I'm the one who's just defended Amish to Chris. Yeah. So you know, defended Amish. <laughs> in your defence, Ish, your uh, your honour. Uh, it's a legal term. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I, yeah, I'm a massive, massive, massive Beatles fan, and uh, I don't know how to feel about this movie quite yet. I'm intrigued by the premise, and I'm not entirely sure the premise holds up to even the the, the <laughs> slightest of scrutiny uh, because at one point someone he plays a song in the trailer uh, the, the lead character Jack plays a song in the trailer and someone sneers at him it's not Coldplay it's not Fix You yeah and, and would I, you have that without the Beatles precisely because mm. you know obviously music didn't start with the Beatles and it didn't end with the Beatles but their influence on music is so profound that you could argue that many, 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 many artists wouldn't sound like they sound like without the Beatles. I agree. Um, and some other people were, were very, very funny about that on Twitter this week, going, who narrates Thomas a Tank Engine in this, in this <laughs> universe? Um, what's the end credits song on Spies Like Us? <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's bugging me. Who produced the Monty Python movies? Whoa. Oh, my Whoa. God. Yeah. Oh Blowing your it's, mind! It's the butterfly effect right there. They've destroyed all of culture. This is something we can ask Michael Palin on our live show in Glasgow hey. in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> I mean, well, I can ask him because clearly you are I'm being the one doing allowed nowhere near Michael Palin. Don't you even <laughs> think about Michael Palin? Yeah, hey. disgust me. Anyway, yeah, it looks uh, looks it could be fun. It, yeah, it looks fun. I yeah. think and very very warm hearted. I think it'll be a massive hit in this country at least. In other trailer news, more importantly, to be perfectly honest, there is a billion dollar film that has a trailer this week and we haven't even touched upon it. And you know what that hey, is? Helen. The hustle. That's ageism. <laughs> that is ageism pure and simple. Just because some of those billion dollar spenders were tiny children, we don't care. Is that it? Is that what you're telling me about the frozen? Are you saying they spent their own money? They might have. I don't think they did. They Helen. have pocket money. But you hey, don't know how their parents work. But hey, Helen. Let, hey. Do you want to build another snowman? <laughs> let it go, Helen. Let it go. Again. Let it go do you know again. What? Do you know what? Yeah. Do you know what? This one actually doesn't look like anyone's building any snowmen. It looks like no one's having much fun. <laughs> this one is clearly darker. I mean, the animation looks gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it also looks super dark. It looks like Zack Snyder's Frozen 2, as someone t- equipped the on Twitter. The reindeer looks so angry. The reindeers are like plural or like super angry. I'm worried about some kind mm. of Mufasa situation there, oh, you know. No. And I should only have to worry about that once this year. So it's it's kind of distressing. <laughs> oh my god! Do you think Sven might be in trouble? <laughs> what about Olaf? 
He could be trampled. Oh my god! But he'd magically come back again. Yeah, probably. You know. Be fine. But uh, so this is Frozen Two, and it was a f- intriguing teaser. You know, mm. no, no dialogue, no hint really no. of the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazeem. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure that uh, she will unleash her pipes. Well, with the whole thing with her running into the sea, that looked like she was exiled, right? Put yeah. on an island somewhere by someone, mm. by some force, by some evil. Evil. They yeah. missed a trick though with the nomenclature. Because uh, and I am stealing this from at oh no she twitten off Twitter because it's genius. But she suggested possible Frozen sequel titles: Die Hard with a Svengeance. <laughs> no. Frozen Two: Snokio Drift. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Winter Stella, or Fifty Shards of Ice. <laughs> oh, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, I quite like Winter Stella. Snokio Drift. <laughs> Snokio Drift. Yeah. Oh, Svengeance. Die Hard with a Svengeance. I'd watch that. Yeah. I, I know you absolutely would absolutely watch that. Absolutely here all day for that. Um, okay, so that's that's Frozen 2, which looks like it could be a lot of fun. Shall we talk? We need to talk about the BAFTAs, because the BAFTAs oh, yeah. happened. They did happen. And also we should talk about the Oscars, yes, because the should. Oscars had an interesting week yet again. Oh, the God. absolute Keystone Cop situation <laughs> going on over there. Like they thought, what can we do to absolutely fuck up the Oscars from top to bottom this year? And they're following their playbook, play <laughs> by play. And, like, we're getting there. I don't know what's going to happen on the night. I really don't. I'm fascinated to see the car crash live. At the moment, I think it it looks like there might be a sort of nascent boycott. So those of you who haven't actually heard the news yet, uh, they have decided to relegate four categories, including cinematography, editing, uh, it was makeup and hair, and the fourth one is is live action short, I think is the fourth. And they've decided to relegate these four categories to the ads breaks. Yes. So that certainly American viewers would not see them. I think we might actually, because we don't. Now they, fill those ads anyway. Yeah. Well, they've they've come out since and they've they've clar- they've tried to clarify this because they announced this the other day. The president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, John Bailey, a former Everton fullback, uh, said that that's a very niche reference, by the way. But there you go. Uh, said, came out and said that's what we're doing, and this is going to be something we're going to be doing from now on. And don't worry if you're a cinematographer and you think this is always going to happen because we're going to rotate the awards that we don't mm-hmm. give a shit about. Yeah. Um, because who needs cinematography and editing to make a film? Almost nobody. No. And there's been a huge backlash. I mean, you thought the backlash against the best popular Oscar yeah. idea, best yeah. popular film Oscar idea that they brought in earlier in the year and then walked back within about three minutes. Yeah. Uh, you thought that was something and this is this is huge I, because yeah. Alfonso Cuaron, mm. Guillermo del Toro, Edgar Wright, uh, all sorts, Jason Tarantino, Spike Lee. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> like, what are you doing? This is disrespectful. Yeah. It's insulting. And the Academy have tried to come out and, and clarify it. No, it's, it, what we're just doing is we're just going to make sure that, you know, we're going to film it within the 90 seconds or so of the commercial break. And then we're going to slip it seamlessly into the broadcast. So it feels like it's live and you wouldn't even know the difference. But I would know the difference if I mm-hmm. was, say, Roger Deakins last year, for example, yeah. won for Blade Runner 2049. Finally, after 375 nominations <laughs> and no wins, he finally gets the coveted Oscar and he goes up on stage and he knows, he knows that someone is selling Doritos at the same time. <laughs> and that must really, that, that would really suck. Yeah. And it's massively disrespectful. And I'm honestly amazed they haven't walked it back. I think they mm. will. I think there's there's a nascent boycott developing. It, it hasn't got the big names so far, but I feel like they're going to join because, you know, as you say, the outrage is huge. And if, if enough of those sort of Oprah's, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg's say they're not going to be at the Oscars this year, they will cave. Isn't it Jack and Merrill, isn't it? Aren't they like the ravens in the tower? That if both of them... Jack, Jack, Jack doesn't, doesn't you know I mean? come yeah, anymore. He hasn't yeah. been in the last few years. Well, I think, I think one, one away is okay, both away and you're fucked. 
Mm, maybe, mm. maybe. They can make up for this by getting Roger Deakins to host it, um, <laughs> which I'd be on board for. But yeah, it's interesting because the Academy president, uh, John Bailey, used to be a cinematographer, and I just find the whole thing kind of mm. baffling. But yeah, they, it, the hornet's nest has been well and truly kicked. Sounds like it's been run more by Barnum and Bailey, am I right? Oh. Am I right? Uh. Rather than Bailey. Yeah, okay. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's stupid and stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Stop Basically. getting Oscars wrong. Yes. <laughs> uh, and we should talk about the BAFTAs as well because they took place. And the BAFTAs, of course, are pre-recorded and yeah. they relegate the editing yeah. award they, to their sort of also out. Yeah, they also made some baffling decisions this year, which is in the at the end of the broadcast on the BBC, they played back the uh, award that they'd skipped first time around. So they were like, now the ones you missed. And they played very, very, very edited versions of the ones they missed, including several that we'd seen in full already. So there'd obviously been wow. some kind of cock up at the BBC and they got that a bit wrong. Um, but yeah, the BAFTAs happened. and um, yeah. Joanna Lumley wasn't great. Joanna Lumley was awful. Yeah, yeah they should have got, got Roger Deakins. And I don't entirely blame her. I mean, she didn't make much of them, but also there wasn't anything on the page. But, you know, the, the expression of Steve Coogan as mm. she tried to, to land one of her jokes was just painful. <laughs> um, They're so caught up with trying to be respectful, but at the same time a little bit cheeky, a little mm. bit, you know, a little bit reverent rather than irreverent, and it just doesn't work. Sometimes it does. Like, for example, she in- introduced Viola Davis and sort of listed off some of her accomplishments and and then said, so everyone, prepare to feel inadequate, Viola Davis. And I'm like, that is fair. That is the way that she should be introduced everywhere she goes. Prepare to feel it, yeah. inadequate, <laughs> here's Viola Davis. The rest of it was terrible. That said, there were some good speeches. Um, there were some nice digs at Brexit from both presenters and winners, which obviously I enjoyed. And uh, you. Free Solar won Best Documentary, and I was very pleased to see mm. that. You know, there yeah. weren't, there wasn't much in the way of surprise, I think it's fair to say. So the favourite won seven on the night, yes. including Best Actress for Olivia Colman, Best British Film mm-hmm. as well, and Best Supporting Actress for Rachel Weisz. Yes. Uh, but the it was Roma that took home the best big picture, prizes. Yes. So Best Film on the night, Best Foreign Film as well, or Best Film not in the English language, and Best Director for Alfonso Cuaron. <sighs> I have to say, I got into a little bit on Twitter this week uh, because Rami Malek won Best Actor for Mm -hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody and now looks pretty much nailed on, you would say, to win Best Actor at the Oscars. And, you know, nice guy, had him on the podcast. Good performance, good performance. I cannot stress that enough. It is a good performance. But Oscar winning Mm. against the people he's up against? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't um, doesn't really sit well with me. But you know, hey ho, hey ho. Why can't the Academy skip that one? <laughs> you know, and then and then also at, and then Rami Malek also won Best Actor, and then it's just people storming the stage with pitchforks. Anything else? Yes, we can't ignore the big blue elephant in the room. Look, I brought him in. I thought no, he'd be okay. That one? No, I, I meant I meant Will Smith. Oh right, okay, yeah. Oh yes, yes. Speaking of. Uh, Teasers and trailers and pictures and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we got our first look at the CG genie um, from the quote unquote live action Aladdin. Uh, C genie, I believe. C genie. Right I apologise. Um, and it is Will Smith has has blew himself. <laughs> I don't know. Oh God. I don't know what to tell He's gone you. Full Navi. There have been. Yeah. He has. He has smurfed it up. Um, he has gone. You know, Tobias <laughs> Funky. Um, he's blue. Something, something sure does smell funky about this movie. <laughs> but, yeah. um, it's it's very you know the start of Iron Man three. It's it's blue. He's it is blue. 
Dabbadee. Yeah. Blue is the warmest colour as far as Will Smith <laughs> is concerned. So this is, we've seen him as the genie already in Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. And uh, people were wondering if we were going to see the blue genie. And we've seen the blue genie and Twitter had its fun, didn't it? <laughs> it really did. It really did. That was a day. That was a day. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes things look bad out of context and great in context. So Absolutely. there's always that hope. Every day. Every day. Is Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. And maybe under the tree you get a present and the present is a lamp and you rub the lamp. Why is that your first instinct? Okay. Why would you not rub a lamp? Have you not read these stories of Aladdin and the genie and the wishmaster? You rub the lamp. Seriously, is the lamp just always dirty? Is that what we're saying? Like, why? why? Well, this lamp was dirty and that's why it it all happened. Okay, fine. We should move on from that very, very quickly. Uh, I promised you Chris Pratt news at the beginning of the podcast. And my God, do I have Chris Pratt news for you? uh, Because he has signed on to star in the new movie called Ghost Draft, which will start filming this summer with Chris McKay, director of the Lego Batman movie at the helm. Mm. And we know nothing else. Oh, well. That wasn't the most exciting news story we've ever had, Chris. Mm. Hey, Don't judge me, Helen. Actual best Chris, Chris Evans, has also <laughs> lined up a film. He's going to be starring in Infinite for Antoine Fuqua, which is about a man who can remember his past lives, not Uncle Boone. Um, <laughs> a man who can remember his past lives, and that gives him basically eligibility to a secret society which he tries to join. Oh, can it please be an Uncle Boone <laughs> who can recall his past lives remake? That'd be amazing. <laughs> I believe he could do it if he wanted to. I believe Chris Evans could recall anything. Yes. You know, he, he can do proper furrowed brow thinking. I think this would be good. Uh, Antoine Fuqua, we like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on a novel, The Reincarnationist Papers. Um, and Evans, you know, he doesn't seem to have a lot of MCU projects in the, in the, in the pipeline, Helen. I don't, wanna, I don't know what just, that means. They haven't announced them, Chris. I, yeah. It's going to be a film about his life on the farm that he rents with mm-hmm. Bucky and Peggy and they just have a really nice time and look after sick animals and make them better. It's going to be awesome. Five That's the subtitle, isn't it? Captain America <laughs> just hanging out with Peggy and looking after sick animals and making them better. Yeah. Five stars. Yeah. Okay. It'll well, make two billion. Easy. Yeah, but Evans obviously has, he's got Knives Out, he's got a, a horror thing with Tom Holland called The Devil All The Time, then he's got another movie called The Red Sea Diving Report and now this, Infinite, so he really mm. is filling up the old dance card now that Cap well, is, is filming on a farm. It's, filming these on a are farm. obviously nearby projects that he can easily commute to. Absolutely. Gosh. But we, we look forward to these. We really do look forward to these. Uh, finally, we have some very, very sad news with which to finish the movie news section. And it is the sad death at the age of 82 of the legendary Albert Finney, who passed away last Friday. Yeah, no, this was, I mean, you know, not exactly unexpected. He'd been obviously stepping back from work for, for a little while now, but... But yes, incredibly sad all the same. He was he was just such a legend. Um I one of my first films I went to see for Empire was Big Fish. Um mm. and it's honestly one of my favourite performances of his. I know mm. it's not the cool one to mention, I know it's but I just think it's a wonderful story about fathers and sons mm-hmm. and regret and you know, life and I just thought he was absolutely brilliant in it. He really sold those scenes with uh with Billy Crudup and you could believe him as the sort of guy who you know, was always putting the big spin on things, the big talker, the big charmer, because that's who Albert Finney himself seemed to be, just incredibly charming, mm-hmm. um, who could kind of get away with anything. No, I'm with you. Big Fish actually might be my favourite. Although for me, strangely, he will always be Daddy Warbucks from Annie, <laughs> uh, which is a rap, but I, I loved that film when I was a kid, so I'll remember him in that. And, you know, uh, he's, he's the man who created Jason Bourne as well, lest we forget. He's yeah. Robert Ludlum. <laughs> no, he's not. He was not Robert Ludlum. Uh, he literally created... He was the man in charge of... of, of Treadstone. Treadstone. Yeah, Blackbriar and all that nonsense. <laughs> okay, yes. yeah. 
Uh, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, 1960. Mm. Obviously, his breakthrough. He's amazing in that. That's one to go and have a look at if you haven't seen it. He plays this very angry young guy. Miller's Crossing. Yeah. Miller's he's obviously Crossing. amazing yeah. in that. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, so many things. Aaron Brockovich as well. His mm. relationship with, with Julia Roberts in that is just yeah. glorious to watch. That was his last Oscar nomination. He was nominated five times, didn't win, which is faintly ludicrous actually yeah. when you look at uh, the, the performances he was nominated for Aaron Brockovich is actually the movie that it was the only one I could find to download on the streaming services after his death and I watched it on the uh, the coach back from Liverpool the weekend which was and I hadn't seen that movie since it came out and it's such a good it's movie so he's, good. he's so good in it. and you forget how good she was as well in it amazing but yeah I mean you've mentioned Miller's Crossing you know there's also the likes of Murder in the Orient Express where he was a very good Poirot for, for Sidney yes. Lumet uh, you also have the likes of uh, Two of the Road and The Dresser he was nominated for that as well Tom Jones of course he was one of those incredible great working class hero turned actor and he was uh, apparently as, as mesmerising on the stage as he was on the screen um, but obviously I never had the chance to see him in uh, in anything oh he was in Skyfall he was in Skyfall. Mm. It was his last his ever role. Kincaid. Kincaid, yeah. The 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 groundskeeper Woolly who uh <laughs> <laughs> Booby trap stuff and Yeah. Yeah. And we all know from the spoiler special we did with uh, Purvis and Wade that that was meant to be Sean Connery, that they, mm. uh, they they offered that role to Sean Connery and they offered it to Albert Finney, who wasn't in the best of health even back then, back in uh, 2012. Um, but uh, he was an incredible actor, an incredible career. And there's some amazing stories about him that have popped up since. And my favourite one is apparently he was just a really, really great guy, really gregarious, mm. really, really generous with everybody, uh, liked to help out young actors as well. But my favourite story that I read about Albert Finney was this, that he so enjoyed the experience of working on Miller's Crossing I heard this. that he came back <laughs> and cameoed as a female maid in one scene. Mm-hmm. So there's a sequence where Gabriel Burns' Tom is walking down a corridor and he passes a maid. And if you pause it just right, just like all the right moves, if you pause it just right, you can see that Tom Cruise's penis. If you pause it just right, there you go. It's Albert Finney in a dress as, as, as a maid because he loved working on it so much. Oh, and another great story, and this is also a Miller's Crossing one as well, is that apparently he was so deft with the Tommy gun, with the Thompson gun, I think I've read this, this is from Chris McQuarrie actually on Twitter, uh, that he could aim the shells wherever he wanted, wherever he wanted to put the shells, he could, he could, he could make them go into buckets and he won apparently lots of money from the crew who said you can't fill an entire bucket with a clip and he did because he was great. Albert Finney who died last week at the age of 82. Time now for our second guest, and I said guests, that's right, because the kid who would be king, Joe Cornish's long-awaited return to directing after eight years, sorry, seven years and one month away from the director's chair, as he admonished me on last week's podcast, I get it right this time, uh, he's back with The Kid Who Would Be King, and in The Kid Who Would Be King, which is a modern-day take on the Arthurian legend, is not just one Merlin. No, no. But two Merlins. Mm. So you have a younger Merlin, played by Angus Imry, the son of the legendary Celia Imry. And then you have an older Merlin, played, of course, by Sir Patrick Stewart. And they both came into the pod booth last week. I had a big old chat with them. And warning, this interview contains more talk of Patrick Stewart nudity than I was expecting going into (laughs) it. Also, I discovered this week, by the way, before we get to this interview, that Ellen Page, we were talking about her Mm -hmm. earlier on, uh, is a Liverpool fan because she was also at the Liverpool game I was at on Saturday. Well, hey. Didn't travel on the coach home with me, though, did she? No. No. So you were on the same page. Yes, indeed, James. Yes, we were. Anyway, here's uh, Patrick Stewart and Angus Imry. Enjoy. 
I'm delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the stars of The Kid Who Would Be King, Patrick Stewart and Angus Imri. How are you? Great, happy to be here. Good, good, good. I was wondering before I came in, what is the collective noun for Merlin? Uh, A group of Merlins, a wand of Merlins, Mm. a spell of Merlins? Because you're both Merlin, I'm not quite sure how to describe you. I like... um What's the collective noun? My favourite one's a murder of crows. So maybe there's a murder <laughs> oh, of Merlins. Wow. A murder <laughs> of Merlins. Uh, yes. Um, I just go for a world of wizardry. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Bit of alliteration. No, I like alliteration. I'm always up for a bit of alliteration. Uh, having said that, there was no alliteration in that sentence, but, but hey-ho, <laughs> we move on. Obviously, you both play Merlin. Yeah. But for obvious reasons, not at the same time. So, when did you first meet not today, I'm guessing. That's the thing. We, we, in the rehearsal room. Yeah, it was. Um, we were in the studio in Leaveston, and yes. Patrick came along. We were in a, a building, nothing to do with filming, where we were just rehearsing. Uh-huh. And, uh, and all of us met Patrick for the first time, and it was very, very exciting for us because suddenly it felt, you know... <laughs> like Patrick you were making Stewart a real film. And we were really <laughs> making this movie, and it was going to be fantastic, yeah. Patrick, what are your recollections of that? Um... I I didn't know what to expect. Uh-huh. I read, read the script, of course, uh-huh. but I didn't know what Joe would be going for in terms of the mood and spirit and and uh, and the collective spirit of the five. Well, Angus and the, and the other four. Yeah. Um, but at once I saw that there was something very clear and very um, active. In the way they were thinking while they were working, because it was it was only a rehearsal, right? Mm. And uh, I was terrifically impressed. And then meeting them socially as well, it was was the, it, it was like you know acting the scene for me. And all of a sudden, they were more grown up afterwards, <laughs> and I enjoyed that. And we, we I didn't see as much of them as Angus did, uh-huh. unfortunately. And I yes. saw nothing of Angus because we were never yes. on the set at the same time. But we worked together because. Mm. I had to do some of this hand magic. And by then, Angus was brilliant at it. So he became my teacher uh, <laughs> while I tried to learn all of this stuff here. And with a spot of arthritis as I have, it yes. wasn't always that easy. Oh, man, I can imagine. Well, Patrick that. was my teacher the entire time as well, because we, although we didn't have scenes together, we were yeah. able, there were occasions when we'd sneeze and transform into one another and right. they'd swap <laughs> us out. But I'd always hang around behind the lens so to be able to observe Patrick watching, uh, working because, yes. you know, he's a master. Who sets the template for, for this Merlin? Uh, who is, do, do you base your performance on each other? Because it's the same person, obviously, yeah. but uh, yeah. your, your Merlin is a little scattier, I would say, Angus, although we spend more time with your, with your Merlin and yours, Patrick. Uh, did you base yours on Angus's or was it vice versa? Well, I... W- I actually tried to copy him as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> we found that there were certain speeches of Shakespeare we both knew by mm. heart. Oh, really? And so we would speak the speeches as a duet, yeah. each of us trying to match the other's voice so that at least we would... Because in appearance, we were not much alike. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in, in sound, it seemed to us that we could create a, a, just a sense of the same voice, the same 
manner, little bits of behaving and uh, physicality. You know. mm. It was amazing to us, actually. You know, when we first stood together, we really didn't look alike. But the way that through the process we started to, to meld, you know, it was really exciting to see that happen. Yeah. And also just trusting that we, we were very much trying to um, infuse those little echoes in our performance, but trusting that it, it would happen in, in by itself and that we are playing different sort of parts of the character there's mm. the inner and the outer really and so we we were able to bring our own um individual selves to that and and intermixed with that attempt to echo one another mm. and i think that was that was what we wanted to achieve wasn't it i think exactly that yes angus were other were there also echoes of joe cornish in your Merlin. In Merlin, yeah. yeah. Well, I was just wondering because uh, he's uh, of, of a similar age, I guess, to Joe whenever he first started getting into TV and first started yeah. making uh, his short films and whatnot. And I just wondered if maybe he was, you were channeling a little bit of him, tall, gangly, a little I bit wonder, diffident. I wonder. He, it, when I first auditioned, you know, he, um, it was a great, again, it was a good combination because he had su- there's such richness on the page for the character and, and it was such an exciting thing to get your teeth stuck into. But... Mm. Then, of course, I had my own desires and wants and creative um, impulses mm-hmm. and, and it just became a sort of a, a you know, um, a union of that. And I, and I think Joe had a picture and then, and then we just were able to bring them together. Um, I think it was just about, you know, making Merlin as free and, and um, not hung up on any of the modern world uh, insecurities or anything like that. He was just a, he's a one of a kind, free, and he's, he's of mm. the elements, you know, connected to the earth. And I think um, that was the main inspiration to try and achieve. It was only a few days ago that I learned that Joe had been writing the screenplay of The Kid Who Would Be mm. King since he was 13. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, he'd never mentioned that at all. <laughs> I would have loved it if, if he had told me that. So it was a childhood and adult experience, yeah. which kind of made the, the the younger and the much older Merlin make sense. Yeah, because yeah. He, he had lived, he had grown up with the idea of this film in his head. Literally, mm. the idea of the film. Yeah, and uh, it it. It was meaningful in that I think that it gave the, the uh, how the children in the film, the young people in the film, had to ma- had to mature, yeah, because yeah. they were having to face these massive problems, and they had to become grown up very very quickly. Mm. And in that sense, they were telling Joe's story as well as yeah. King Arthur's story. Absolutely, I find it, I find it strange in a way that Joe didn't mention that to you. I thought that would have been part of his pitch, his selling point. This <laughs> this story means so much to me. I've been working on it since I was thirteen. Look, I drew a poster when I was thirteen. Yeah. Uh, back then, do, he used to do sketches on his notebooks, apparently, of the Lady of the Lake bringing the sword out of the bath, which is you know that that's the great image of the film. That is amazing. And Patrick, this is obviously your second King Arthur film. Uh, yes, yeah. second King Arthur film. And uh, I've done, I, I created a, a one-man show mm-hmm. uh, based on Mort d'Artour, uh, the, the great Mallory mm-hmm. book. And I think, I'm not right, the first formal Arthurian story in print. I think that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, I'm going to say yes that. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know you did a one-man show. Well, it was right after the end of the first season of, of, of Star Trek The Next Generation when it occurred to all of us in it, it was not going to be a one-year job, which is what we thought and been told it would be. And it went on for seven years, of course. And I woke up to that and thought, I'm going to 
I'm going to lose the theatre. I'm going to lose everything that my acting life has been. Yes. So I created this whole series of one-man shows. And one of them was uh, uh, one little section of Mort d'Artour. Okay, okay. And, and did you play all the characters in that? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you've played Merlin before. Well, it was a kind of staged reading. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so I read right. some of Merlin's lines. He certainly showed up. Okay. But, you know, I've been watching the great work of... Michael Gambon and Ian McKellen for so long. I mean, you know, we, we, thanks to the two of them, we're all easy wizards. <laughs> I've talked to Joe about this movie, and I know he's at pains to slightly downplay the the idea that this could be seen as an allegory for Brexit, but it's there. It is absolutely there. I think, yeah, I think that's what happens, isn't it, with art sometimes, that it can, it, it, art, art precedes the world. You know, that mm. this, this was going, this... Joe had this idea before any of um, the divisions and things that seem so so relevant now in the mm. film had come about. But I think that's that's a great mark of a of a piece of work that's in tune with with the modern world. Mm. Uh, the modern world, but you can you can go back to Greek drama yeah. uh, or to Elizabethan drama mm. or to 18th century drama, and you will find the same thing is reflected that the author is both being inspired by the present day as well as trying to have an impact on it. Mm. So th these, these stories are always about something. Yes. They're not just escapism. Yeah. And it's also about letting the younger generation have their heads as well. And does that resonate with you as, a, as, a, as an actor? Do you watch the younger generations come through? Are you uh, intrigued by what they're doing? Are you um, impressed by, by how younger actors and how, they're, how they operate? Well, my son is an actor, yeah. a professional actor. And um, uh, my uh, and his son has recently been in a school play, a school production, which he enjoyed. So I, I hesitate to say this, but I think <laughs> I'll, I'll be creating a, a dynasty here um, of, of actors. I, I'm just happy to see, as I was with my son, to see uh, my grandchildren now learning performance and enjoying it and it being something that they can take into their everyday lives, in the classroom, in the playground, mm. and at home, which is helping them to grow up. And, uh, and Angus, speaking of dynasties, obviously you come from an acting background as well. Uh, was, it, was it a natural? Was it a, just a, a given that you would wind up treading the boards? I don't think so. I, my, my parents certainly didn't encourage me because they know what a difficult career it is. <laughs> yeah. um, and, I, and, you know, I, I think when you're growing up and you're young... Uh, and suddenly finding a love of performing at school. And it's it seems like a very, very different thing from what your parents do on film sets. You know, that's their job. So I never really drew the parallel until later. Mm. And then, of course, it's it's wonderful to be able to share a love with mm. your parents. And, and although they discouraged me for a while, when they realised that I was serious about it, then they were, <laughs> then they were very supportive. But, yeah, it's, it's, I just certainly discovered it. Um, yeah. First, and then and then you share it, which is wonderful. And what did your mum say when she realised that you were going to have a nude scene in this movie? <laughs> I don't know whether she knew about that. Maybe it was a surprise when she did it. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't thought about that. They very they very tastefully uh, managed to fog out my bottom quite well. Yes, I see. Um, yeah. which, which I, think I mean, I wasn't it was looking, bit, but I, it was a, yeah, 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 I did yeah. Notice, but yeah. I think I think it was a bit too explicit for some of the uh, people watching. When I saw you on Sunday, my first thought was, "Eat your art out, Hugh Jackman." <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> uh, Patrick, have you done a nude scene in your career? I have. Um, okay. Only once. Okay. Um, there was uh, an amazing BBC Saturday night 
half-hour drama program called The Eleventh Hour. Uh, on Monday morning at 8 o'clock, there was nothing, no, nothing to shoot, no script, no nothing. And over the course of the next 48 hours, the producers would bring in a writer, a director, and then gradually, in my case, by Wednesday, an actor. And by Thursday, <laughs> wow. we were in a BBC rehearsal room rehearsing the script that had only been written three days earlier. <laughs> and, and then we, on I don't know, on a Friday night, we ran it. Saturday afternoon, we did the technical stuff. And 11 o'clock on Saturday night, we went live um, on BBC One. <laughs> Um, and uh, I can't even think why I began to tell the, the nudity, the nudity patch. Oh yes, that's right. Which you and insisted I was upon. a man <laughs> who was uh, terrified of the water, and his life had all gone wrong. And the, it was a very opening scene when I took off my clothes on a dockside, uh -huh. and then very slowly lowered myself down into I think what was meant to be the Thames, uh -huh. and then disappeared under the water. Mm. And then we got his backstory, but. A little like Angus, we only saw the rear view. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw your backstory before we saw your backstory. That's right. Actually, no, I did it once before. Oh, hang on. Robin Phillips, the director at Stratford-on-Avon, had me appear nude once in Two Gentlemen of Verona. I was playing Lords, <laughs> but he later cut it. The oh man! I mean, oh. okay. Oh yes, the performance, absolutely. And uh, and just very very quickly, there you mentioned there that uh, the next generation was. You thought maybe at one point it was going to be a one-year deal, then turned out to be a seven-year deal, then a four-film deal beyond that. And now, of course, you're coming back for more. I know. Um, I, I'm no longer going to say I can't believe that this has happened because <laughs> I chose for it to happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think anything has excited me, the prospect of it, as much as this um, new uh, Star Trek series is going to do. And... Um, one of the reasons is that I, 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 for the first time ever, I have an executive producer role, yeah. a, a co-executive producer role, and I'm working with brilliant people, people, Akiva Goldsman and Michael Chabon. I mean, Akiva has an Oscar for, for writing Beautiful Mind, and, and Michael has got a, um, a Pulitzer Prize. And uh, I am so turned on about going back to the to the character, but it's 20 years in the future. Yeah. So it's a very different world that we're going to encounter. And that is all I'm allowed to say. And a very different Sean Luke as well, I'm, I'm guessing also. I haven't seen anyone as excited about making an announcement about something for a long, long time as you were when you made that announcement. It was incredible to watch. Yeah, it's, and it was a tough decision. I, I said no twice to it. And uh -huh. then we had a meeting and I was intrigued and... No, no, to say lured on board would be quite wrong. It was my choice and everybody yeah. was ready for me to say, I, I, I'm done with Jean-Luc, I moved on. You can't say anything about it, obviously, Patrick, but uh, can I get you to say right here and now that there will be a nude scene? That we will get to see. <laughs> there was one in the, in the series, the, in the Next Generation. Uh, Actually, David Warner had me hanging from the ceiling in handcuffs with no clothes on. See, you've been nude a lot. It's all coming back to you now. It's... I know, yes, I've forgotten. <laughs> Put your clothes back on, Stuart, honestly. What's going yeah, on? Maybe it'll take off. So. <laughs> uh, fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure. Angus, thank you very much indeed. Thank Sir Patrick, so thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, so that was the Kitty Whippy Kings, Patrick Stewart and Angus Imry. And let's start the review section with indeed the Kid Who Would Be King. And this is, as I said, a modern Arthurian a legend in which Louis Ashburn Circus, yes indeed, son of Andy Circus, is a young kid called Alex who finds a sword in a stone, Excalibur, in a building site. And by pulling it out, all sorts of shenanigans happens. 
sounds a bit rude, but it's not. Um, yeah, this is um, this is a funny film because it's kind of a throwback. It felt like a throwback. Was it the children's workshop films? That, was that what it was called? Those sort of seventies, eighties foundations. Children's Film Foundation, yeah. yes. Those kind of low budget, if you remember those 70s, 80s movies, they often had big, big ideas at the heart and yeah. they actually tried to do some big effects work, which usually was very cheap looking because it was, you know, the 70s and 80s and low budget British kids TV. Um, and, but th- they had a real spirit to them and this kind of feels like part of the same family. Obviously a slightly bigger budget affair and there are a few scenes where there's, you know, hordes of monsters basically attacking people. Um but it still feels very kind of grounded and low level and kind of British TV in a sort of nostalgic way. And it's mm. also a film that really puts the, the kids at the heart of the story and lets mm. them drive the action, which I feel like we, we used to see a lot. You know, The Goonies obviously is the classic go-to example, but I feel like we haven't really seen a lot of that in recent years. We've seen a lot where, maybe more in animation, but in live action, we haven't seen a lot where there's kids on yeah. their own without much adult supervision, Yeah, yeah. you know? leading the way and that's kind of cool to see and I think I think kids will really really enjoy it yeah. for that reason it skews a little bit younger than Attack the Block um, oh yeah and it doesn't have the cool factor of Attack the Block yeah. uh, I don't think people will be quoting lines quite so much and a lot of that stuff in that film became quite iconic quite quickly um, but I really really liked it too it has a real sweetness and an yeah. earnestness I thought the kids were fun I had a few little quibbles with it, but I had a really good time with it. And I thought Angus Imry actually steals the show yeah. as yeah. the younger Merlin. Yeah. Uh, he does some kind of magical spells yeah. using, using um, I don't know where Hand I'm going gestures. with Hand gestures. Hand gestures, mm. that's how you say it. Um, and he's he's a hoot, which is ironic because he turns into an owl. <laughs> um, but he's, oh, wow. he's, he's great. Uh, he's actually in the film a bit more than Patrick Stewart. I was oh, right, expecting yeah. more mm. Stewart, but I didn't. he was so good I didn't wish there was more Stuart yeah. precisely I like, I like Stuart he's fine in the role but uh, I do kind of mourn when Emery's not on screen mm. yeah. I, I wasn't you know, crying or anything but I was, I yeah. was you yeah. know, pretty sad uh, Rebecca Ferguson's the, the baddie in this Morgana yeah. probably doesn't get a lot that's to do that's probably my, what I was talking about with Quibbles really like she does not she's she's fine but she doesn't get yeah. much to do she's stuck to a wall for quite a bit of the film and the, the villains the CG kind of baddies I thought they were cool the first time they turned up mm. but they keep turning up and they look less cool as they, they look doing. less yeah, cool but yeah. there's, there's really fun fantasy stuff in it there's a great bit with some trees um, yeah the trees were cool I like that a lot um, and um, and I also thought so the, the kids don't all get along immediately they're not mm. all best buds in fact two of them are essentially Alex's bullies mm-hmm. at the beginning of the film I don't think this is a, a spoiler um, so it's an interesting relationship and an interesting dynamic that mm. they get into and sort of as those kids start talking to each other I think it's a really it's a really nice way to approach it. It's yeah. very different, and I haven't seen it a million times, and I quite enjoyed that. It's like a team of rivals kind yeah, of situation, <laughs> where like Alex, uh, the main kid, has to learn to unite. You know, as Arthur mm. had to unite warring clans, he has to unite the different kids from the school. And mm. um, yeah, and the battle at the end is 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 really fun as well at the school. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I had a really good time with it. Yeah, listen, effervescence here. And as we discussed last week in the podcast and live show with uh, with Joe Cornish, this has been bubbling around in his brain for the best part of well. Three decades now, maybe mm. even four decades. Uh, yeah, three decades. Let's not age him too much. And um, <laughs> you can really sense that this is something that's you know it it feels in the best possible way like a kid dreamed it up mm. in a weird way. I uh, had a lot of fun with it. I think the uh, the interaction between the kids is is really really fun. And uh, it didn't do that well at the box office in the states. I feel it's a bit of a shame mm. because I you know when a movie comes along like this and I think it costs something like sixty million dollars. That's still a fairly big risk, and when it really, really crashes at the box office, then movies like this won't get made again. Mm. And, of course, that's not a reason why you should go see a film. You should go see a film because it's entertaining. But, hey, you know what? This film is entertaining. 
And it's a bit of a shame that it hasn't found an audience in the States. I hope that it will find an audience here. It's probably more resonant here. I think it is. And I think also it gets into sort of English mythology, which is underused. In fact, generally, the mythology of all these islands is is massively yeah. undertold and massively underutilised. And uh, I think there's there's an opportunity there, actually. And I think Joe Cornish is right to, to dip into it. And I hope other people aren't put off by the by the pro-US performance of this one. Indeed. And also, I think it has, there's, there's certain things that happened in the movie. Again, we touched on this last week in the interview with Joe Cornish that speak to our troubled times, mm. uh, shall we say. Um, you know, some, you know, I wonder if they considered releasing this on March 29th, for example. <laughs> but but hey-ho, there we go. Four stars then for The Kid Who Would Be King. And then our last in-depth review this week is A Private War, which is the Matthew Heineman film which covers the, I think we, we have to say this, the, mm. the last few years in the life of Marie Colvin, played by Rosamund Pike in this, who was a, a foreign correspondent for the, the Sunday Times. Yeah, so she was the person sent in, uh, very much at her own insistence, it wasn't like they were pushing her, um, to the most dangerous places on earth, really. Um, she lost an eye um, reporting from Sri Lanka um, and kept going, didn't didn't slow down, didn't stop, uh, kept going into war zones. Um, and of course, that took her into, you know, into Iraq, into Afghanistan, um, and then in, finally into Syria, um, which is both where the film starts and ends. And again, I, I don't think that's a spoiler. I mean, if you know anything about the re- real Marie Colvin, then you know sort of what's going to happen in the shape of this film but it's a sort of it's an odd affair so the the main criticism I've seen of this film is that she wouldn't want a film about herself she'd want a film about the people she spoke to so her her emphasis in her stories was very much on the real people affected by these wars she wasn't talking well she did interview the leaders of course but she very much talked to people on the ground how were they affected what were their lives like um, and got their stories out of them. And that was really always her focus, was telling their stories. Mm. So, But at the same time, if you're making a biopic, you have to tell her story too. So it's, it's a slight, you know, there's a slight tension almost between the subject herself and, and what the film is trying to do. Mm. But I think they generally do walk the line. They generally do get across that that's what she cared about. She cared about other people, not herself. And this very contradictory character who was very much the life and the soul of the party when she was sort of, back in town and off work um, but also suffered PTSD from these horrific experiences she had had in war in war zones and so the film kind of tries to bring both of those to life so I think people have disagreed on how well it does it I think uh, it works because of Rosamund Pike's performance I think as the as a film it's pretty good Um, as a performance it's astonishingly good mm-hmm. and I think it's a, it's you know, another one that should have been in consideration yeah. for the Oscars this year I think it's just a really really strong category for the women this year I was going to say I, I sadly haven't had a chance to see this movie yet but uh, everything I've read about it and everything I've heard about it is mm. praising her performance yeah so so where is it what gives yeah I think it's one of those things where the, if the film doesn't have a certain level of traction sometimes the performance can also be overlooked but really, it, it does deserve a look just for that. And I think it's it's really, really impressive what she does. She apparently lost something like an inch and a half in height because she was sort of hunched over the entire time she was playing this character because Marie was so tense and so mm. on edge all the time. And she obviously followed all of her body language. Um, and she literally had to, you know, do loads of yoga afterwards to regain her natural height. <laughs> and that, that's commitment. Does that work? Apparently so, yeah. I can- no longer be a short arse. You could be taller. Oh, that'd be so good. Then I would definitely be the best, Chris. Well, um, anyway, so A Private War, I thought mm. she's fantastic. The film's pretty good and it's a really interesting look into a fascinating woman's life. Okay. 
Fantastic then. Three stars for A Private War. And also out this week, but sadly the podcast team haven't had the chance to run our eyes over them. Uh, We have Happy Death Day to You, which is a sequel to last year's Blumhouse surprise hit, Happy Death Day. Basically a horror slasher variation on Groundhog Day. And our Ben Travis went to see this. And honestly, he's been so ebullient uh, and so pumped up about this movie that has made me really really want to see it I enjoyed Happy Death Day and I was kind of like I can I can kind of go get on board with the sequel but this sounds fantastic he's compared to the Back to the Future 2 in the way that it wraps and loops around itself and it's quite ingenious and it's very very funny apparently it leans more into the comedic elements of uh, a day a looping day than the uh, the slasher elements and every now and again remembers that it's got to be a slasher as well but that's totally fine so Happy Death Day to you we gave that four stars Four stars, then, for Happy Death Day to you. But do see the first one first, Ben said. Yes, do not go into this one without seeing Happy Death Day. Uh, Not to you. And then, finally, this week, we have Instant Family, which is a comedy drama starring Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne as uh, a couple who decide to adopt some foster kids, uh, but of different ages. And it is based on Sean Andrews, the the, the writer and director. It's based on his actual experiences as well. And uh, it is apparently... I've heard this from a lot of people, actually. A lot better than you might think from that brief synopsis. Uh, we gave it three stars, but apparently it is quite a lot of fun and even moving in places as well. So Instant Family, three stars for that. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by a Fighting With My Family double whammy. We'll have the star of that film, Florence Pugh, and also the director of the film, the writer-director of the film, in fact, Stephen Merchant himself, How exciting uh, you can also listen now for our Lita Battle Angel spoiler special with director Robert Rodriguez and producer John Landau that will be out next Monday uh, we have something very different and very very special which will hopefully be out today by the time you listen to this it is our very first podumentary that is a podcast documentary with James Cameron looking back at his biggest hit Avatar and uh, we had a lot of fun putting that one together and hope you guys enjoy it but anyway until we meet again until at a suspicious occasion it is goodbye from producer Jane. Yell, yell, Jane. Jane. Bye. There we go. There's Kim. Uh, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Pilot out. <laughs> what? What? That's, that? not, that's not a thing. That's it is a thing. Can that not it's catch on? It's a thing on the popular pilot TV podcast. Oh, good lord. Oh no. It's an in joke for uh, Keith. Your definition of popular is very different from mine. <laughs> mm. uh, Helen. Oh yes, yes. Helen O'Hara. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Toodaloo. Apologies for everything. And sure. it's goodbye from Edmund himself, Nick DeSemlian. Don't look at me. Bye. Our lives are better for having you in them. We are touched and humbled by your mere presence. Thank you for reading oh, my prepared statement. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to get Chris Elliott, Chris Rock, and what's the other Chris one? Chris Klein. Chris Klein and Chris Sarandon. You know what? We're going to have our own little Hollywood Chris. Chris Plummer. Def- no, no, he's, he's, a he's a Christopher. Him and him and Nolan have their own Christopher Club. Yes, <laughs> and that's a lot of fun. Believe me. Lols abound in that club. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I'm off to play myself the best of the Hollywood Chris's with my new Chris friends. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>